Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Lindley Frame to the podcast. Lindley is the current Athlete Wellbeing and Engagement Manager at Swimming Australia. And in what has been a year like no other, Lindley's role has been pivotal in supporting our athletes as they adjust and prepare for the Tokyo Olympics. Lindley has been able to draw on her own experiences as a professional athlete representing Australia, winning a gold medal in the 100-metre breaststroke at the 1991 World Aquatic Championships and representing Australia at the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. We are so lucky to have Lindley join us today, so welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Great to sit down and talk with other people in sport. I love that. Yeah, yeah right. we forget that we're recording a podcast most of the time. We just <laughs> sit down and chat. But no, the, the one question that we do always like to start with and that we ask everyone was, can you tell us a little bit about your first memory in sport or your earliest memory in sport? Well, sport was always a part of my life. Like I was one of those kids that never stopped. So swimming for me started with learn to swim. My dad sailed boats. So it was a safety aspect and we had a swimming pool in our backyard. But I also played tennis. I did gymnastics. I did ballet for seven years. I played netball and softball at school. So I think it was for me, I liked moving, but I loved to compete. And it took a while before swimming became my thing. I was 12. The last thing I dropped was ballet and that was when I was 12. And I think actually in hindsight, that was a great thing that I kept up all those other sports, but so much of it, I had a mix of individual sports and team sports, which was really nice. And and my swimming memory, very clear at winning a medal in the relay at the Victorian Primary Schools Championships. And like, it's my favourite, it's the prettiest medal that I've got. It's, it's so nice, but that's, that sparked a dream that just, you know, went on for another 15 years. Is that kind of the moment where you thought, actually, yeah, I'm going to have a good crack at swimming and and see how far I can go? Would you remember when you made that decision? Because it's a big commitment, swimming. It's not something you you can do just on the weekends. No, I think initially it was just about fun and it was social and I was good at it. And I like rewards for doing things. So, you know, I like getting a ribbon or a medal. So that kind of really encouraged me to keep going. Swimming just made me feel really good. And I realise I'm very much an individual athlete. While team sports are fun, I kind of like being responsible at the end of the day for what I do, which is interesting because in my working role, you know, up until recently, I've been very, you know, working on my own pretty much within a big team. But I think the first moment that I realised what I wanted to do was watching the 84 Olympic Games. And and it wasn't actually an, an Aussie performance. It was the two American girls in the women's 100 freestyle. So the games were in LA, two American girls dead heated for the gold medal in the 100 freestyle. And I'm a really visual person. And I think for me, what it was, was the look on their face when they realised what they'd done. And that memory is sort of really clear. And I'm like, that's so cool. I'd love to do that. So I think I was, I was sort of going on 13 at the time. And I made my first state team around that time as well. So it was like that perfect storm of, of things happening all at once. You obviously had an amazing career as an athlete. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit how, about how you transitioned from athlete to someone who was working in sport and a little bit about your current role at Swimming Australia at the moment? Yeah, so it was really interesting. I finished at 25 and I stopped because I was sick. I had chronic fatigue syndrome. So, and actually at the time they told me I'd never swim again and I'd, I'd just moved away from sport Interestingly, I never realised, and it sounds so silly, that you could work in sport. 
So no one had ever said, you know, oh, Swimming Victoria's here or there are opportunities to work in sport. And I'd, I'd left swimming and actually went into a commentary position for Channel 7. So I did that. I worked at schools talking to students. And so it just really wasn't something on my radar. And I actually ended up living overseas for a really long time. I didn't reconnect back with swimming or sport for, um, apart from the commentary, probably for about 12 years. I just really moved on in my life. And so working in sport wasn't something I'd been exposed to until I was asked to come back as a mentor for the Victorian state team. So we're this fabulous competition called state teams and it's the top kids in the country compete for their states. It's a head to head state to state kind of program. And I went as a mentor and off the back of that, we had a really forward thinking CEO and president at Swimming Victoria. And they said, you know, what do you think about a job at Swimming Victoria? We're thinking that a welfare education role, but we don't know what that looks like. So I, I gradually actually worked two jobs at that time. So I did two days a week for Swimming Victoria. And at the time I was working for an organisation called Red Dust Role Models, which was a charity that worked in remote Indigenous communities. So I sort of had my foot in two different camps. So initially, working in sport wasn't something that I'd ever planned to do. I didn't know what I could contribute either. I think that was the thing. With your current role now, I imagine it is a bit about preparing and supporting these athletes through the different levels of the pathway that they're on within the swimming swimming program. So I think for me, that was a great introduction to coming into this role. So I really yeah. understood what the pathway looked like and what the athletes needed to support them outside the pool as they came through. And when I was at Swimming Victoria, this role wasn't even sort of created. So this role came about in 2018. And I sort of started becoming aware of it. The AIS held a wellbeing summit in, I think it was the middle of 2018. And I got an invitation to go to it. And I went to it and I suddenly realised there was this whole big world in an area that I was really passionate about. And at the time I had, you know, quite young, my, my kids were starting to grow up, you know, in the years before they'd been young, my work at Swimming Victoria worked in really closely, but I'd also been starting to think what's next. So when this opportunity came up and the kids were that little bit older, I realized that I think maybe this is my next move. And for me, it was a really exciting move. And I think that's probably one thing that I've always done is that understood that opportunities out there and to keep my eyes open and you never quite know where you're going to end up. And I've been lucky enough to work with you on some of the programs that you were pivotal in for swimming while you were in your role at Swimming Victoria. And one I think I did want to touch on because it is so important to young females coming through both as as athletes was this um, Beyond the Black Line program that you kind of started with, you know, one of your swimming buddies, Dan Kowalski, and you were really pivotal in bringing that to life. Can you tell us a bit about that program and the purpose of it and more specifically yeah. the benefit that young young female swimmers will have when they take part of that? Well, I think, I think growing up in sport as a female can be difficult, particularly growing up, growing up in a swimsuit can be incredibly difficult. And this was a program that was made for swimmers by swimmers. So along with Dan Kowalski, we had Jade Edmonston working on it. There'd been a great program before it called 
uh, growing up in Lycra and we used that as the base of the program. But it was all about using our elite athletes that had come through the pathway to share their experiences. And they were really unique experiences and they were very honest about it. And it was about talking openly about things like going through puberty, dealing with setbacks, life balance. And it was just a conversation starter. So we had these, we got these fantastic videos of girls talking about what it was like to try and balance school and swimming and having major competitions in year 11 and year 12 and and how they did that or what it's like when you're a girl and you get your period and you're a swimmer. Mm. Um, really conversations that need to be had because they're awkward and a body shape that's different to the kids that you're going to school with and all of those things. And I think when you do that in a very honest, shared environment, you just get some great conversation happening amongst girls and it's really essential. It's really interesting. Obviously, body image is such a huge thing for teenage girls and especially when they're in their swimsuits as well. So I know how successful it was. Um, and the support you provide kind of both parents, coaches, athletes and the administrators. So I thought that was a really interesting one because we're talking about, you know, empowering women within sport, both in being administrators, but how we can also support the young females coming through that the programs is really important as well. And I think the other great thing about that program was that we we used our alumni and our elite athletes to facilitate the programs. So they learn how they learn the skill of facilitating a program. We were connecting them with the kids coming through. They could earn money from it. So there were so many avenues that it just it was a great thing for our athletes in the sport at the grassroots, but also elite. Given you implemented a program like that, and you know, swimming is definitely a sport where female participation and male participation, I would imagine, is pretty evenly matched. Where do you see the future for that in 10 years now and in terms of women's sport? What do you think it looks like in our society? Well, I think we're, I've been really fortunate that I grew up in a sport that is equal. So for me, it's been a real learning experience working in sport that and observing what goes on in other sports where they don't have that same kind of equality. I'm fascinated watching the development of women's sport now. Part of that is through inspiration. So, you know, you look at you look at the athletes that are performing now in, in female cricket, AFLW, rugby sevens, all those kinds of things. And there's that level of inspiration. So there's a different level of professionalism come through. But I think sport teaches us so much and it teaches us about teamwork and dynamics and all of those goal setting and resilience. And I think that's just a flow on from sport into the workforce. So I think the next 10 years, it's just creating some amazing females that will branch out from sport and take everything they've learned into the world. And they didn't have that opportunity to continue their sport before. And I think that's really amazing. Does that inspire you in your current role in terms of well-being? And is that some of the reasons that you got into it? I think sport is hard. Sport is also amazing. And what you want to do at the end of the day is to be able to leave your sport and be able to reflect on it and feel good about it. And the hard thing about elite sport is that quite often the last bit of your career is really tough. You know, it might be that you're getting older, you've got injuries or you miss team selection. And so your view on sport 
changes to, you know, having had these great opportunity and experiences to maybe not being so good. So my role really focuses on people development, not just athlete development and connecting them to personal development and what does life look like after sport, but having that conversation much earlier so that it's not a shock when your career is over. It's, it's always going to be a tough transition point. There's no doubt about that, but there's thought gone into it and there's planning gone into it, just like you would plan your athletic career. And you've also got someone there just to support you emotionally through that phase. And I think it's a really important thing for some people in some sports, and I'm sure you draw on your own experiences from when you finished swimming and probably, you know, at the age of 25 and thought, well, what do I do now? And people like our mostly our Olympians in sports like, you know, swimming, athletics, they're not earning similar money to those really professional sports who might be able to retire or invest some of their millions and millions of dollars that they earn. But when swimmers retire, it's usually at a young age because they've peaked in their teens or it's definitely not like a golfer. And then it's kind of like, now what do I do? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? You know, I've still got 50 years ahead of me. But now, you know, they're starting to think of that before they've retired. A lot of them are at uni. I guess I'm really interested to see how what it was like for you when you were retiring compared to, to what it is now when you're implementing these programs. Well, I think I was one of the lucky ones that had, I say lucky, I had a good transition in that I hated the way my career finished up. So I um, came third at Olympic trials, so first to make the team. And that was pretty devastating because I actually planned to swim for another four years. Um, So it was quite an abrupt end to it. But my transition actually went straight from there once I missed the team into commentary. So I had this slightly different transition and a different world kind of opened up to me. I wasn't really prepared. I didn't go to uni. I didn't have a degree behind me. I'd finished year 12 in, you know, November and two months later I had the world championships in 91. And then things just snowballed. I got I got a, a great job at Westpac, and and things. I actually I actually worked at the Sports Commission for for mm. probably about two months before I worked at Westpac, and and I worked for Westpac for years. And I actually just kind of went from job to job. And I was never study wasn't something on the horizon because I just kind of kept moving. But actually, at the end of the day, it was something that I was actually really self conscious of that I didn't have a degree. But I had all this life experience. So it was, you know, lived in multiple places around around the world and, and done so many different things. So in some ways I had a good transition, but in other ways I wasn't set up like the athletes can be now. So we've got some extraordinary stories. We've got we've got multiple athletes studying biomedical science. We've got some doing psychology, some studying law. Uh, what else have we got? Engineering. You know, they're they're doing some great things. So we really need to start telling those stories so that the next generation realise that they're not not one-dimensional, but it's not just that they can swim fast, they can excel in different areas. And I think that's one thing that sport does is it teaches you to excel in other areas. And, yeah, I think the opportunities they have now our athletes can access like professional career practitioners, whether that's about the course that they want to do, where they want to go to uni or what they want to do, 
you know, with that degree that they have, they've got some amazing opportunities and great personal development programs. On this podcast, we're pretty dedicated to, I guess, helping people who might be trying to find a role in sport or understand what it's like. Your role is similar in terms of helping people find direction in their careers and what's potentially next for them. What is one piece of advice that you often give people when they're wondering about how to get started in a career? Get into a career that you're interested in, that you have a passion in. If you don't know anyone, I believe in cold calling or making contact. I think there's very few people that won't take, you know, 15 minutes out of their day just to have a conversation or respond to an email. I think that's one of the lovely things I see working in sport that, as you say, there's a lot of people that will lift, lift you up. I think there's amazing opportunities and there's so many different areas. But I think once you do get into sport, if there's an opportunity to engage in different areas of the organisation, do that. So just, you know, step outside your that little comfort zone you're in and have an interest in the other areas because you might end up in a different area than you thought you were going to. There's always opportunities. I think anyone working in sport realises, you know, how much you can move around through different sports once you have that skill set. It's almost a bit of a universal skill set working in sport and then you're not linked into that one particular sport. Yeah, I think that's really good in terms of trying to find different areas of sport that you might be interested in. If I think back to uni, I think most people in my class, and I think it's very similar now, that people think they're going to work in events or high performance, whereas a lot of the jobs are actually in participation, which is obviously where Sarah and I have ended up. And I don't think we would change that now. Like that's what we we love doing. And, you know, that's what that's all, yeah, always where I see my future. So I think it's really good to, yeah, get in there and understand some of the different things and don't think, okay, I've got to work in high performance or, you know, I really want to run an event because there's so many varied roles in sport, particularly these days, which is really exciting. And I think you need to understand how community actually plays into high performance. And and what you're doing at the grassroots is so essential because without what you're doing, we don't have the athletes in the future. So I think it's just the knowledge out there of what opportunities there are. But but looking at rather than how does this play a part within a big organisation, I think that's a really important thing to do. Speaking of different opportunities, so you're now on the board of the Victorian Olympic Council as well. Um, Obviously, it'd be a voluntary position. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of one, getting appointed, and then how are you finding the experience of being on the board? I really enjoy it. So passionate about the Olympic movement. I'd had a couple of board experiences. I was on the Australian Swimmers Commission for about 10 years. And then I was on the board at Red Dust Role Models, a previous organisation that I'd been involved with. I think each of those was a good building experience. I'd done a lot of work with the education side and with the Victorian Olympic Council. In fact, at one point, I I, um, put together a couple of education opportunities for them. And we used to combine sort of education learning experiences with workshops with the Olympians. And so I've been passionate about giving back. And then when the opportunity came up to go on the board and they kind of looked at everyone's skill set and because mine had always been about education and working with younger athletes or working with students, I kind of sort of filled that kind of place on the board. I think it's always a learning experience. I still have to remind myself like to really speak up sometimes. I'm one of those people that likes to ponder a little bit and sometimes in a board meeting that's not possible. So I think, you know, 
get being brave and just voicing what you have to say is always an important thing. But I was very much sort of a little bit of a, you know, headhunter, are you interested? We'd really love to have you on board. And I think the Olympic movement is such a fantastic thing and it impacts people on so many different levels. It's not just the athletes wanting to do it. It's the joy that it brings to people watching it's a momentary distraction from life that might not be so great. So I think to be able to go out and and to pay, play a pretty active role in spreading that message is a really nice thing to be able to do. I mean, everyone loves the Olympics every four years, but there's so much that happens behind the scenes and the others. Now, this isn't really something we do go into in these podcasts, but I have to ask after speaking about the Olympics is – how are the swimmers going considering the shift that has happened in their lives? They'd obviously planned, they'd trained for last year to go to the Olympics. It's been pushed back for 12 months. I know some would have been planning to swim last year and then potentially retire. They're now having to go over to to well, will go over to Tokyo once elected, knowing that none of their probably family and friends can go and watch them. How are they going, I guess, in general? Well, I think the thing is when you've you've trained your trained your whole life for it, when it changes, there's a bit of time where you have to stop and regroup. I think they regrouped pretty well and after the initial not feeling so good about everything that happened because it happened so suddenly, they were able to sort of um, and I think it was handled really well by by you know, all the NSOs have just started to look to the future. So, you know, while we were in the COVID situation, and we've been really lucky in Australia that probably apart from the Victorians who, you know, missed out on some pool time, for the most part, it didn't affect the others too much after that initial lockdown. So it's been very forward thinking that we're always looking ahead. And that's that's been the real focus. Probably, you know, there's had to be alternative plans for qualifying for the Olympics. Yes. So currently we have one athlete who's qualified for the Olympics, Karina Lee, and she qualified last year. And it was probably close to one of the last qualifying events for aquatics. And so, yeah, there's probably, there's, you know, different scenarios for qualifying, but we're keeping our fingers crossed that that June is our Olympic qualifying event. I think it's challenging without having family and friends over there, but at the same time, it's that opportunity to race for an Olympic medal, the thing that they've dreamt of. And so I think there's always moments to reflect and then reset but for some it's a once in a lifetime I used to listen to athletes saying it's only my first but some will never go to a second so this could be your moment in time and you just need to do everything you can to to try and make that team and with Olympic sports it's pretty cutthroat they seem to be going pretty well I mean they're a pretty focused bunch yeah, great. And so as you're the Athlete Wellbeing and Engagement Manager, what kind of support and um, what did your role look like in that, whether it was the three months either during COVID or when you knew the IOC were saying, actually, we're going to have to move it to next year? I imagine it was pretty full on for you. It was pretty full on. I remember waking up in the middle of the night thinking, and nothing, nothing had happened. We'd actually been sent home from work and I just kept thinking, 
if something happens, do I have everything at my fingertips that I need to be able to contact athletes, parents, and to be able to react really quickly? So that was something that I was really conscious of. Each sport has to put up a long list. So that's, you know, it's a considerable number of athletes on that long list that are a chance of making the team. So that was the priority. And they stopped training on the Monday. And I think, I don't know, I just, it was, I felt like I was on the phone for, for days and days, but pretty privileged position to be in at that point at the hardest time for an athlete to be there to support them and listen and just for them to know that someone's going to be there to check in just to make sure they're okay. So it was challenging and it was busy, but I think once that initial lockdown was over, we then looked at what opportunities there were. And for a lot of athletes, that was around the personal development side. So they increase their study load because most of them bring their study load right down going, they might just do one subject, some still do two, leading into a trials, but they increase their study load quite quickly. They took on personal development programs online. So again, I think we just started looking forward as much as possible and what we could what could be done rather than what couldn't be done. But yeah, it was it was chaotic. <laughs> I, I had a bit of a night in my stomach. Yeah. What are some of the more rewarding things you find about working in sport? I think just the passion, the passion of the people in the pool, the passion of the people out of the pool that are trying to help athletes to achieve their performances, the sense of community. So it doesn't really matter what sport you work in. You've got this common bond with people that work in other sport. And I think they tend to be pretty passionate people. And I think for me, there's inspiration everywhere. I work with some phenomenal people. We've got AWE managers in all the national sporting organisations and they've got amazing skill sets and stories and and I think just being able to draw on them. And even in particular, we, we were a huge support network for each other during COVID because everyone was going through, you know, what is a huge kind of, I suppose, critical incident if you want to label it as that. I think that's probably the really special thing about working in sport. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point around that well-being position or whatever the portfolio looks like in the national sport organisation. I know our athlete wellbeing manager, where we we were working during COVID, that was then also offering sessions and you know ideas and weekly things for the staff because it was just he had so much expertise in that area that we were able to tap into, and it proved a really huge success. Probably COVID's just emphasised how important this space is. Absolutely. We're really lucky that the AIS extended and and re-looked at, you know, the, the mental health referral network and that was available to athletes, coaches, staff. You know, no matter what people were going through, there were resources put around it. I think there are opportunities for staff to take part in personal development. There, there are a lot of staff across so many sports and, and big sports that you would never have thought of that, that would be out of work. So be able to remain connected or take part in personal development, I think was a really nice opportunity. It's, yeah, well, well-being, you know, while my label is athlete well-being, I look at it as coaches and support staff and they go through a lot. And even if you look at a campaign, you've got coaches and support staff that are away from their families. So they've got different kind of stresses. So any way that we can support them, I think is a fantastic thing. 
You spoke a little bit there about personal development. What are some of the things you do to continue to learn? Every, probably someone said to me today, I think you're on every working group. And I said, <laughs> oh, not, not quite, but I'm really happy to put my hand up for working groups because it keeps my brain going just to sit there and go through ideas, what things that might work, don't work. When I started in this role, we got an opportunity to do our cert for in career development because that's something that we talk about all the time. And actually, for me, that was my first step back into studying since year 12. I'd done courses along the way. And so for me, that was actually quite daunting. And then once I finished that, I realised I wanted to do, do more things. So I'm actually doing a diploma of counselling at the moment. So I think those work in this role, it sparks interest in different areas because we work across career, educational, personal development, mental health, community engagement. And when you're tapped into all those different areas, you're just interested. So, and I'm pretty curious. So I just keep pushing myself to do things. I was really fortunate really early on, actually, when I started at Swimming Victoria, my CEO told me that he was linking me up with a mentor. And that was a really good thing. That's one thing that yeah, I would great. recommend that if you have the opportunity. And mine was outside sport. And he was always challenging me not to get comfortable. And even I remember, you know, working the state level, just going this is great, this is perfect for me. And he said, you can't stay there forever. You've got more. And I'm like, but I felt really satisfied with what I was doing at the time. But that comment also planted a seed that, well, maybe there is something more. So that was really interesting for me. One question I wanted to ask you, because you obviously have your legacy as the Lindley, the athlete and the professional swimmer, but what would you like your legacy to be within the sports administration side? Because to me, it seems like you're so passionate about this athlete well-being and setting our athletes up. But what if you would look back when you're finished, what would you like your legacy to be? Oh, that's such a big question. Yes. <laughs> I think maybe that I was just there regardless. I'm not I'm not there for athletes that are just performing or not performing. I think I'm about people development and supporting people. And I think at, at the end of the day, at the end of a career, it's a, it can be a really lonely time and you can feel a bit forgotten with your sports. So hopefully if I can be there so someone doesn't feel like they're forgotten and they want to reconnect as alumni, I think that's a pretty nice thing to be able to do. I'd be happy with that because our athletes go on to do extraordinary things and, yeah. you know, we'd love to have that knowledge and skill set back. So, I don't know, I think maybe just that, that I was here for them. Yeah, great. Could you maybe give us your top three tips that you would give to budding female sports administrators? In your role, it sounds like you give out a lot of career advice, so we're asking for some for free here, but uh, we'll happily accept <laughs> it. <laughs> I think I've given, I've given you a couple already. I think get a mentor. Yeah, um, definitely think, number one on everyone we've had so far, I think, which is great. And don't play it safe. Don't get someone that's going to tell you how great you are or you just want someone that, that will tell you that you're doing great but also challenge you or encourage you to think outside because I think it's really easy to stay in that comfort zone. Be interested in areas outside your role because I think, yeah, so often you can contribute to other areas that you don't realise. And honestly, just look out for opportunity. 
I think if you want to work in sport, there are plenty of opportunities. It may not be the entry point that you thought it might be, but once you work in sport, there's plenty of scope to to move around. So if your dream is to work in sport and sports admin, I think it's a really fulfilling role, but jump in where you see an opening. Don't wait for the perfect role. Yeah, I think that's a great one. And I also think you never know what opportunity might arise. Like I'm sure that if you go back to when you were working at Westpac, you never thought you'd be back working at Swimming Australia as an athlete and wellbeing manager. So I think that's a yeah, a really good point is that don't limit yourself. Don't, you know, have this tunnel vision of that's where I'm going to go yet because you never know what might be around the corner. Which kind of leads us to our last question, which is always a, a bit of a tricky one. But where to next for you? I know this role at Swimming Australia is quite new, but what do you think the future holds for you in this um, space? I don't know. I feel like I'm only just getting into my role. And I think that's a really interesting place to be sort of two and a half years in because it was almost started from scratch. So I would love to go through another Olympic cycle because I'm now seeing the kids that I worked with at state level start to come through and that's really rewarding. And, you know, I don't know, I think that's probably one of the reasons that I did the, started, you know, the counselling study in that I'm not sure where things will take me, but it'll always be an area that I'm passionate about and feel like I can make a difference. I think that's what I want in life is to make a difference. Yeah, awesome. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job so far and good luck for everything leading up to Tokyo. I know it's a bit crazy at this time of year and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Great to chat with you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sports Intuition Podcast. If you did, we would greatly appreciate you taking the time to leave us a rating and any reviews. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.